Welcome to the Community HealthCast, sponsored by the Queen's Community Health Board, Community Partnerships, and a Voice for a Healthier Future. My name is Rick Conrad, and I'm a member of the Queen's Community Health Board, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Elizabeth Bailey. Elizabeth is the coordinator of the Queen's Community Health Board. Hi, Elizabeth. I'm looking forward to our topic today. Hey, Rick. Me too. I got to tell you, I am really excited to learn more about what's available in Queen's County. We're going to be talking about... uh, being a young, gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender person in Queens County. And as many places celebrate gay pride this summer, we thought we'd take a look at the issues facing LGBTQ youth in our area. Most of us think of our community as open, welcoming, and inclusive, but coming out is never easy, no matter how supportive your family or community might be. It's a very personal thing. Uh, Nobody's coming out story is the same. Sometimes it goes really well. But other times, coming out can be more difficult, especially if you have to worry about being kicked out of your house or about bullying at school or work. There are some amazing organizations that help queer youth. Uh, The Youth Project is based in Halifax and helps with school-based initiatives like Gender Sexuality Alliances. There are more than 120 GSAs at over 40 schools around Nova Scotia. South Shore Sexual Health in Bridgewater is also a great resource for youth who are questioning their sexuality or gender identity. But if you're a youth in Queens County with little family support and no transportation, it can be tough to access those services. So what do queer youth need in our community to help them navigate their coming out? We'll be joined today by two guests to discuss that issue. First, Erica Kirk is the guidance counselor at Liverpool Regional High School and the teacher advisor for the school's GSA, or Gender Sexuality Alliance. Later in the episode, we'll be speaking with Bryn Steele, a 21-year-old who grew up in Queens County and came out in high school. Hi, Erica, and welcome to the Community HealthCast. Hi, Rick and Elizabeth. Thanks for uh, having me here. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm looking forward to our uh, discussion today because I think it's one of those things as a gay man myself, and I'm elderly. Well, no, not elderly. I'm older. Uh, um, you know, I think it's a different experience. You already sort of have come out and, and uh, you've dealt with all these issues before and it'll be, uh, it'll be an interesting discussion for sure. So Erica, tell me a bit about the Gender Sexuality Alliance at LRHS. Do the students identify across the LGBTQ plus spectrum or, um, and what is their age range? Well, we're a pretty small student-led group, and our mandate is really focused on raising awareness of inclusion at our school and in our community. Um, And we focus on advocacy for queer and trans youth, as well as doing work in the school to create safe school culture for all students. And this year, our long-range programming plan was to host events that brought experts on gender and sexuality into the school so that students would have an opportunity to have a dialogue with them about positive things and topics of importance to them. So when I think about, we talk about a a gender and a sexuality spectrum, I believe that this kind of includes all individuals, so cis individuals and heterosexual individuals, as well as queer, queer folk and everybody in between. The function of a GSA or a Gender Sexuality Alliance is really to uh, create a safe space for all queer students, trans students, and their allies. So in that regard, our group, you know, it has about 10 members, and they're, they represent all aspects of that spectrum. And because we're a 9 to 12 school, we have students who are like 14 to 18 years old. And then there's me, the old fogey in the room, so... So what have queer questioning students told you about what it's like to be gay or trans in Queens County? 
Um, it's amazing. They've told me a really wide range of things. Um, and I've learned a lot from the students and I've learned, I've, I've worked in a number of different schools. Um, and I've tried to maintain this role for advocacy in all my positions at the various schools I've worked in. So it's given me a lot of experience in terms of youth and what they perceive are kind of the biggest concerns that they have. And the big thing I, I would like to say is that these are never easy conversations. They're often courageous conversations, and they're difficult for some students, but for other students, they're not. Um, and I think that, you know, either way, whether it's easier or it's not, I'm really humbled to be engaging in those conversations with youth because I know that for a lot of folks, this is an intimate part of your life, right? Like you don't, you don't talk about it like you talk about the weather. So I think the fact that kids are talking to me about these things is, you know, something that, you know, I'm very touched to be, to be part of. There are some reoccurring themes that come up in these conversations, and these have evolved over time. So some of them include feelings of isolation or lack of resources and support. And often part of the discussion focuses on understanding what their gender or their sexual identity means to them and how to align themselves in their community and in their family um, and with their peers. So we talk about dating, how to come out to their friends and families, navigating relationships that they have with their peers and their, and their, you know, their friends, typical teen stuff. But we also talk about accessing specific services. So particularly for trans students, you know, it's how do I get access to the gender clinic at IWK? How do I get access to a binder? How do I get um, supports available to me, you know, and that kind of stuff? What's um what specific issues uh, have you heard from kids either through the GSA or or in your role as a guidance counselor? Um, what are some of the concerns, uh, like specifically, some of the issues they've come to you with? Because youth tend to seek me out um, in my role as a counselor when things are maybe not going as they hope they would, or they're experiencing some difficulties. I tend to hear more negative than positive. Um, which is a, kind of unfortunate, but it is part of my job. But I also do get to hear positive. So I hear a lot about bullying, a lot of verbal, but some physical, derogatory comments or homophobic slurs, trans slurs, and fear of being outed or being outed by peers or, or adults of friends of theirs, having their sexuality or their gender identity discussed by peers or adults, like gossiping, that's a big one. Fear of rejection by their parents or their friends or their siblings or their grandparents. And just tokenism. I think a lot of times youth, once they are out in the school, they find that sometimes that becomes something that's hyper-focused on because it makes them unique from others. And, and that can be a source of frustration too. Just to go back a bit, one of your earlier uh, answers... You mentioned a binder. For those, for, for people who don't know what that is, could you just explain quickly what that is for people? So if you're a trans youth and you're transitioning from female to male and you want to flatten your, your chest so that you appear more masculine, you can get an item called a binder. And it, what it does is it, it restrains your breasts to your chest um, so that you have a flatter chest. And it's just one of the many items available that help match your physical appearance to your gender identity while you're in the process of transitioning. 
Do you think schools, you might be a bit biased because you're a teacher, but do you think schools are, are more welcoming places now than they might have been, say, 20 years ago? I would like to think so. I think schools and teachers and the region do work really hard to, to advocate for marginalized groups and to be inclusive. And that that's a big part of education in general is, is helping people develop that resiliency and empathy and compassion for other people. How has the COVID lockdown and, and the, uh, the suspension of actual physical school maybe contributed or affected how queer and trans kids seek those, those supports and, and get those supports? It's created a barrier. I mean, we live in, in an area, a rural area, where not everybody has access to high-speed internet. Not everybody can afford it, even if they do have access to it. Not everybody has devices. So a lot of the ways that youth would substitute, like dropping in and seeing me or accessing a mental health counselor through the school, that's all been done virtually. I guess what was difficult and a, a steep learning curve for me was how do you engage with youth when they don't have access to those things. So I did a lot of phone calls and a lot of like following up, but I would say that it certainly has made it more challenging for youth to access supports. As far as, um, so, you know, we've already identified, you know, a lack of resources or an inability to travel to the resources that exist. Where can a young person go if they're struggling with their sexuality or if they have questions about their gender identity? Well, they can come to their school counselor. <laughs> but in all seriousness, no, um, there's lots of supports available for youth, more so now than when, when I was in school. There's advocacy groups online like PFLAG or EGAL, and they prepare a lot of materials for youth, for teachers, uh, for families and schools. And they also have increasing access to social media, which is good or bad. But I think what this does create is sort of a, an online environment where students can join chats or groups that are run by, say, the Youth Project and, and meet with other people who they identify with and are like them. Um, and that's a good sense of support because it minimizes the sense of isolation that sometimes uh, one can feel. And the Youth Project is an invaluable resource. Um, and they host online groups. They have camps. They have a youth drop-in in Lunenburg twice a month. I mean, it's pretty awesome. You know, if students do feel safe enough to come and talk to me, they can. I mean, I'm a trained clinical therapist. I've got lots of experience working with the community. And I'm always helpful in terms of referrals. So if students need specific items or they need to talk about specific things and I'm not trained or comfortable talking about them, I, I have a network of people that I know I can reach out to who are happy to support youth as well. And the South Shore Sexual Health Center and Second Story Women's Center are also two really great resources in our area that help people with all kinds of things. Well, thanks very much, Erica, for the great discussion today, and uh, thanks a lot for joining us on the Community HealthCast. Our next guest is Bryn Steele. Bryn is a 21-year-old St. Mary's University student from Liverpool. She came out as lesbian when she was a grade 10 student at Liverpool Regional High School. She says she was immediately accepted by her family and friends without hesitation. Despite all the love and support, though, she says she still felt pretty alone and different from the rest of her peers. Bryn was a member of her school's Gender Sexuality Alliance in grades 11 and 12, and that helped her meet and talk to other queer or questioning youth. She says that being involved in her school's GSA helped reduce the anxiety and stress of being out. 
but let's let Bryn tell her own story. Hi, Bryn, and welcome to the Community HealthCast. Hey, Rick, it's great to be on the show. Uh, so, Bryn, tell us what it was like for you to come out in your first year of high school. Well, it was pretty unique, I guess. Um, I remember clearly because it was one of the very many times in my life where my mouth did the talking and my brain didn't do a very good job at safety checking the words before they came out. It was during lunch and I was with my friends and I'd say about a week prior I had just wooed my very first girlfriend, but I had no intent letting that scandalous information out. Uh, But unfortunately, my inner self had different plans that day. So during that lunch, I blurted out something about my then girlfriend. And, you know, like good friends that they are, they let that info spread like wildfire. So what's that like um, being, you know, I mean, you came out pretty young in high school, obviously. What's that like as a a young person at that age, just not only having to uh, navigate all the usual stuff about first year high school and then going through high school and your teenage years, but to have, uh, you know, sort of being one of the only out people in your school on top of it. Yeah, kind of felt like I was a celebrity. You know, like I walk around and strut my stuff, but it it didn't, it felt different, I guess, because also at the same time, I was very unsure about how people felt about me, even though they were straight up, they were straight up honest with me. And they were, they seemed like they were totally fine, except for the odd few comments. So what's it like for you to come back in the summers or at Christmas or study break, come back to Liverpool when you've had that experience in Halifax? I've got a lot of support here from just, you know, I've got a lot of friends here and I've got family here and my coworkers are very supportive. So when I come back, I feel relieved, I guess. And uh, I just feel, I do feel quite a bit of a support, but I don't necessarily talk openly about myself uh, just to strangers or in public. But in Halifax, I do, which is kind of weird because I don't, feel as I do feel safe in Halifax but I don't not as much as I do here and I guess that can differ for um other queer people too like I know there's a lot of deep homophobia in this community but a lot of people don't see it it's usually um from the uh young queer people in their family so that's why they don't that's why they don't talk about it as much but for me here I I don't feel I don't necessarily feel that um, homophobia. What do you think young and not so young queer and trans people uh, in Queens County need as far as resources or support or just a general acceptance, I guess? They definitely need a program and they, they definitely need to feel, need to have the safe places at school. Not just the, the uh, gay, gay kids in general, but um, yeah, students, younger students maybe in like, I don't know when they start teaching sexual ed but uh, I think maybe they should do um, a solid portion on queer love and different feelings that you might have and maybe just you know teach it at a younger age because that's when you start absorbing information so easily and when you're younger you are very accepting you don't see you don't see in black and white you know you it's you, you love people for who they are and it's only that you become biased when you learn that information from somebody who's constantly saying that in your ear. Thanks so much, Bryn, for speaking with us today and enjoy the rest of your summer and into the fall. If, if you do go back to Halifax, back to SMU or stay down here. And, and uh, thanks a lot for talking to us today. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure.
thanks very much to our guests today, Erica Kirk and Bryn Steele, for helping us with this episode. And also a big thank you to fellow Queen's Community Health Board member, Deborah Rattle, for helping us with this episode. And thank you all for joining us today on the Community HealthCast, sponsored by the Queen's Community Health Board. Next week on the Community HealthCast, host Deborah Rattle interviews Callie at a Breath of Fresh Air, a Wellness Fund recipient, and program for youth at the Astor Theater here in our community. Tune in and join the conversation.